so we've been, we've been exploring this theme, this idea of what it looks like to be all in with Jesus. That is to say, to follow him with everything we've got, rather than to simply dabble with what this faith journey is all about. And when I think about this, you know, I think about the reality that our faith journey will inevitably, it's only a matter of time, bump up against assumptions that we have made. Assumptions that we come to him with. Assumptions about other people, assumptions about scripture, assumptions about God, culture, whatever it might be. And what happens is our assumptions will bump up against what he might be saying to us. And in that place where we might feel a degree of challenge, we will discover a decision opportunity. And I do say opportunity because it's an opportunity for us to choose what is more common, especially today, is to take up an offense or to remain open to what he may want to speak into our lives. And this, uh, this line here of to follow Jesus, really what it looks like is to follow him beyond a possible offense. Because I will say, it's going to happen at some point. It's just a matter of time. Now, I don't know if you've ever made an assumption. I have. I've made many assumptions. Um, some of them correct, and some of them I've discovered they were incorrect. And, you know, that's one thing. To make assumptions, that's how we relate with people, with, in our job situations, in our culture. This is how we, we, we move along certain assumptions that we feel comfortable making. It's a different thing, though, when an assumption is made about us. Have you ever been in that place? I, I, I just this morning decided, you know, I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, take an Uber into the church. Uh, it's raining. And so I got in the car and, and the driver, you know, they check who you are to make sure you're the right person, which is smart. It's good. Um, but they'll say, you know what, Luis, he said. I said, yeah, or Luis, either one works. You know, I go by both. And he goes, yeah, so, uh, you know, there are many Luises in my country. And I said, oh, okay. He goes, yeah, where are you from? And I go, well, I'm from San Francisco. He goes, okay, okay. I go, but my parents are from El Salvador. He goes, ah, okay, I'm from, and then he told me the country, and it wasn't El Salvador, and that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay, all right, that's fine, that's all right. Yeah, other times I've gotten to know people, I'm talking to them, and they inevitably ask me, you know, what, what do you do for a living? And, it's, you know, I, I've told you about this. It goes any number of directions. But what has happened a lot to me, actually, is first they decide, once I tell them I'm a pastor, they decide, I could tell it, I could see it in their eyes, you know, the gears are turning. Do, am I okay with this? You know, am I okay with him being a pastor? More so, am I okay still being in this conversation, right? And so more times than not, they say, they, I could see the answer is yes. And I think, all right, sweet, we're good. And they say, at that point, they step into an assumption. They say, you must lead, what, which Latino church do you lead? And I, at first, it caught me off guard. It was like, whoa, okay, that's, okay, ah, hmm. I don't know how to answer that, right? And so it, I, it, that's happened to me enough times where I have an answer. And so I say, well, there are Latinos in my church. <laughs> but there are also other types of human, um, <laughs> different ethnicities and races and backgrounds. And it's actually more of a reflection of this city than not. It, it, it's not monolithic. And I love that. And I could see a little bit of disappointment <laughs> in their face. And we continue to have the conversation. But none of those assumptions actually stick out to me more than, 
one that uh, occurred to me several years ago with my wife and I. We went on vacation. We went to a tropical part of the world. I don't want to say where. But we went there, and you know, my skin has um, a, a feature. It's dark mode. And it happens whenever the sun is out. I could be in the shade, but it is still activated, you know. It starts to turn darker shades. And so I, we were there for several days, and we were enjoying ourselves, and I, I, I felt myself looking more and more like the locals. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to embrace this, right? And so I decided, I'm gonna, I'm, I saw what they were wearing. I saw the, the sunglasses, and I said, honey, let's go, let's go shopping. We're on vacation. So I got myself, like, you know, an outfit, right? Shorts and shades and all that. And, and we were, at the time, we were about almost a week into our trip, and we, we were taking a tour. We had scheduled a tour for ourselves. And we were looking forward to it, and it started early in the morning, and we we're moving in, into this tour on a boat, and there's different aspects to it. But one of them was that we had a tour guide who put, welcomed us onto the boat. He was talking to everybody, and then when he saw us, he zeroed in on us. And he said, you guys, sit here. And we were like, okay. And it turned out they were the best seats on the boat. And so I said, okay, I'm not mad at that. You know, I'll take it. And so we sat there, and as we were going on the tour, he was talking to everybody professionally and kindly, but things changed whenever he would address us. Like, he would talk to everybody, and he would point different things out and everything, and then when he talked to us, it was like we were friends. And he was talking to us in a different way, you know, and it's a little bit more camaraderie and a little bit more laughter, and I thought, wow, I must be pretty funny, you know? And <laughs> we were getting along, and it was like we, we were one of him, right? We were together. It's a different type of embrace. And so we were going, and, I, and it got to the point where the kind of um, preferential treatment was to the extent where I started wondering, I really wanted to ask my wife, honey, did you pay more uh, <laughs> than everyone else? You know, but I didn't. I kind of just restrained myself. And we kept going. We're getting to the, close to the bin point where we're going to have our lunch, our meal. And he says to us, hey, so where are you guys staying? I go, oh, you know, we're staying in this part. And he goes, no way. I know people out there. Like, where are you staying? I was like, Oh, he says, who are you staying with? And I go, well, we're staying in an Airbnb. Um, he goes, oh, okay, okay. Well, who are you visiting? And I go, this, all of this. <laughs> we're visiting this, and it's beautiful. I love it, you know? And he goes, oh. And then it, he goes, where are you from? <laughs> and I said, well, my wife and I are from San Francisco, and my parents are from El Salvador. And he goes, huh. We weren't in El Salvador. And so I discovered that mattered because he discovered we weren't locals. And after, when we got there, right, we had our lunch and everything. And let's just, how do I put it? We didn't get the best seats on the way back. <laughs> and we didn't get the preferential treatment on the way back. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I had no idea you had assumed that. Like, if I had known, I remember thinking, if I had known, I would have kept it up. But I didn't know. And we step into these assumptions we make our, about ourselves and, and about others. And you know what happens when they get let down or when they get rubbed up against? There's, there's something that happens, especially in our society today. We can so easily lead into offense. And the rupture of a conversation, even maybe a relationship. And this is true. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we live in a time in history right now where it is so hard to disagree. Where a disagreement can threaten everything. And the tendency is to become polarized 
and to entrench ourselves in our perspective and to cut the other person off and to distance ourselves and say, well, that's the end. I can't tolerate that. And if that's the truth relationally, well, there are going to be moments in our faith journey where we might feel ourselves having a little bit of a disagreement or challenged by Jesus, where his words might speak into assumptions we have been carrying or worldviews that he may want to expand or a paradigm he may want to shift in how we respond will determine if we're willing to actually follow him beyond a potential offense, whether or not we're actually all in. And this, this, didn't, this is not something that's foreign to Jesus. It happened to him regularly in his earthly ministry. But I don't think there's any one moment in, in his ministry that elevates above the one we're about to explore. A moment, by the way, that is characterized as highly controversial and filled with enormous amounts of tension. And, but I think it has so much for us to be able to glean from. I thought we could walk through it and experience some of what it may have been like together. If you open up your handout... I'd like to explore this with you in John 6, verse 60, where we're told from the very beginning, we're told that when many of his disciples, that is Jesus' disciples, heard it, they said, those his followers, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? That term, hard saying, it, it, it speaks of an objectionable statement. That is an offensive suggestion made by Jesus. It, and and the, the part of it that says, who can listen to it? It's another way of saying, how is this even tolerable? This is not tolerable. What he just said is very offensive. It's hard. And these are his followers. And so it kind of makes me wonder, what did he say? That was so charged. It created such a polar response, a polarized response. Well, I asked him to put a couple things up. It, it, earlier in this chapter of John 6, which is part of this entire conversation, Jesus steps into the scene and he says, listen, I want you to understand something about myself. I am the bread of life. Now, we may have heard that before, <laughs> and we may have come to terms with what he meant about that. And we may say that, that's what caused such a polarized expression. I am the bread of life. He was in essence saying, no, I am the sustenance of your soul. And they weren't quite understanding what he was saying. And so he, rather than moving toward immediate clarity and de-escalation, Jesus does something different. He doubles down. And he ratchets up the tension. And I asked him to put this up there. It says, he says, no, you don't understand me. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Which even now, 2,000 years removed from when he uttered those words, we could say, at the very least, those are weird. <laughs> really, Jesus? What are you saying? What are you insinuating? Do you understand what you're implying? But Jesus was speaking metaphorically, and they were receiving him literally. And what was the metaphor Jesus was making? See, they wanted to receive Jesus on their terms. And they wanted him to become supplemental. And Jesus said, no, 
You're not getting it then. You don't get anything from me unless I become central. I cannot be supplemental to your life. I cannot simply be, as good as that is, a good teacher. I cannot simply be, as good as that is, a good prophet. No, no, no. I must be the source of life in order for you to actually benefit from my life. Do you understand this? And he uses this metaphor to just put it right there in front of them, which in essence is what he was claiming was that they needed to embrace his humanity. That is the fact that he was who he said he was in human flesh, who stepped into human history. He's not a myth. He wasn't a, a, a creation manufactured. He truly was a person who walked among them. That is the flesh. And that he was not just who he said he was, who walked among them and lived as a human being, but that what he would sacrifice, his very own blood, on their behalf needed to be received by them. That in believing in his humanity and receiving his sacrifice on their behalf, he says, to those I give eternal life. To those who embrace me in my totality. They receive eternal life. If you keep me on the edges, you're going to miss out. And this word is what caused them to say, this is a hard, you ask too much, Jesus. It's intolerable. And you know, Jesus handles this tension in a unique way, because we're told in verse 61 that Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples, that is his followers, they were grumbling about this, you know, complaining. What is this? You, you sense the undertone of offense. And he said to them, do you take offense at this? Is this going to be a make or break thing for you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before if this metaphor that I'm presenting to you is so offensive to you, what are you going to do when I'm physically no longer with you? What are you going to do when, when actually I'm revealed to be who I said I was? If these words stumble you, how are you going to continue with me? You know what you sense in those words? You sense at the core, Jesus has compassion and patience. At the core, Jesus has uh, an approach that wants to continue the conversation, not end it. That he is not looking to demand. He's not, you know what you don't feel? You don't feel agitation and anger from Jesus. You see, you see him saying, come on guys, let's talk about this. Maybe you may not be seeing what I'm saying, but we, we got to get past this together. There's too much at stake. And then he continues, he goes, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It's almost as if he's saying, this is metaphor, not literal. Listen, listen, my body, what you can see, what you can touch, what you can handle, the material things of this life, they are good, but they have their limit on being able to ever meet the needs of your soul. They can't. They were never meant to. It's no good if you're looking to those to meet the internal needs of who you are. 
No amount of possession or resource or education, no amount of comfort will actually be able to supply your soul with life. But my words, my words are able. My words are able to give you to step into, look, they transcend the material world and they step into the spirit realm that we all know is real and true and they feed you. Come on. Don't you understand this? But even now, he says, as he looks, he says, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by my father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. His um, words that Jesus is essentially trying to wrestle with his disciples who are literally facing their own doubts facing their own fears, facing their own confusion. And he's trying to address, I'm speaking to you this way because I want to give you life. I want to give you life. But even now, and you could sense it. You could sense the pain. But you know what you don't sense? Shock and surprise. I know some of you that what I just said is too much for you. I know many of you are going to turn back. I know you're going to leave. I know it. You could sense the awareness of where people are at on Jesus' behalf, the sadness of heartbreak, of knowing people were going to leave him. And you know what also you see? Really what you don't see is any demand for compliance. No demand for obedience. No demand to manipulate or coerce anybody. The complete and utter respect for individuality and freedom of choice. For the independence of each human being. He says, I know. I know some of you are going to go. I know. You can no longer follow me past this. I wish it weren't so. But I'll allow it. And if there ever was one who could not, who could actually restrain, it would be Jesus. And he chose not to. And in fact, in that very vulnerable place, you see something else of his tenderness. You see as he turns in verse 67, he turns, he says, Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? He turns to his closest companions who have been with him the entire journey. And he says to them a question, a hauntingly open question ended question a question that is vulnerable a question coming from the respect he has for each one of those men and their ability to choose a question displaying absolute openness to what to being rejected and to being abandoned are you also wanting to leave? You, you can't help but admire Jesus' vulnerability here and his um, transparency. Do you also want to go? In the midst of the exodus of people, in the midst of his influence quickly, rapidly dropping, the entire influence that he had is now diminishing. 
And he's reading it on the faces of his disciples. And he's wondering, do you also want to join the crowds who are leaving? Because I'm not saying something that they agree with and it's no longer popular. Are you going to go with them too? And it's not guilt-ridden. It's honest. <laughs> Many of those people recognize, they discover something about Jesus they could not tolerate. It, it reminds me of what Tim Keller said. And he, he said it in such a way that I thought it was worth quoting exactly as he said it. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Rather than who God actually is. Because if we have to force God to fit into our box in order for us to be okay with him, we may not actually come to know who God actually is. We may be trying to prop up our version of him, our assumptions about him. And many of those people decide, I can't, I can't handle it. And in the midst of this very controversial time, tense-filled environment, Peter steps into the scene and we're told in verse 68, that Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. How, how else does he, he say it? And I appreciate Peter because he steps in and he creates this great proclamation. But you know what he doesn't do? What Peter doesn't do in these words is he doesn't pretend. You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't say, we're all good, Jesus. No doubts here. No concerns here. He doesn't do that. It's almost as if he's acknowledging that he is wrestling with this and he's considering deeply what has just happened, what he's witnessing, what he heard Jesus do, and he's wrestling within himself and Jesus looks at them and he says, do you also want to go? And he starts to consider the possibility and he comes to a conclusion. Yes, I have my doubts, Jesus. Yes, I have my points of concern. I don't even know if I agree with what you're saying. I don't think I understand what you're saying. But the truth of the matter is, where am I going to go? Where else am I going to turn? Who else is like you? Who has words that have fed me and given me such hope? No one. I've come to believe something about your character that outweighs my doubt. I've come to believe something about who you are that surpasses my fears and concerns, and yes, even my offenses. It's Peter's version of saying, I'm all in. I'm not gonna pretend, I'm not gonna hide, I'm not gonna sweep anything under the rug. You know what this is? It's an authentic declaration of faith. I am having a hard time with what you're saying. But I am with you. I'm not going to leave. And as Jesus hears these words that are profound, they're, they're truly a transparent and real and honest assessment of his own heart, Jesus looks at him and he says, he says something almost strange. He says, he answered them and he says, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. 
He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, Peter, that's amazing. That's really good. In fact, that's the best answer you can give. And yet, I want you all to recognize something. I know all of you. Not only do I know all of you, I welcome all of you. And Jesus does something that I don't think any of us could ever replicate. Because he is fully aware of the motives, the ambitions, the underlying current that fills Judas's heart. And you know what he doesn't do? Cut him off. This is remarkable. Jesus doesn't kick him out. He embraces him. What? Yes. Whether it's the highest declaration of faith or the highest point of resistance, Jesus literally says, I, I'm not insecure. I'm not afraid. I'm not threatened. Come. Which also means proximity doesn't always mean alignment with Jesus. We can be close to Jesus and yet resist him every step of the way and not be in alignment with what he longs to say or do in our lives. See, at its core, you know what this shows us? That our faith journey, it will call certain things to the surface. And what will re be required of us is the ability to be teachable. That whether we're at the beginning of our faith journey, perhaps we're a little bit more seasoned, or maybe we're at a point where we would say, well, I'm all in. You know, no matter where we are, no matter what season we're in, we will never outgrow our need to remain teachable. And so teachability looks like a couple things. One, this is kind of, I think, it brings to the forefront. Teachability looks like being a lifelong learner of Jesus' words and ways. That is, a lifelong learner of what he has to say and how he lived. It, it's been said Jesus is simple enough to satisfy a curious child, profound enough to compel a scholar. That is, that he has the ability, the approachability for anybody to come in to the shallow end of Jesus and be satisfied by his love and his grace. And if one longs to, one can discover an ocean where it's not just a matter of closing a knowledge gap with Jesus, but it's a matter of discovering truly how deep he goes. And we could discover more dimensions of who he is. We can never outgrow our need to learn from him. Think about this. Jesus later, because not everyone turned away from Jesus. Some remained, in, in, obviously including Peter. But later he says to those who believed, and, and I asked him to put this up there. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You're all in. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The operative words here are abide, which means remain. If you remain in my words, you will know the truth. Truth is not a point of knowledge. It's a person. And as you remain with my words and allow them to continue to soak up more dimensions of who you are, and if they bump up against something and you remain open, and if they stretch things, you remain open. You know what happens? You will come to know me personally. And when you come to know me personally, you'll discover increasing amounts of freedom in your life. Freedom from what? I can't tell you how many times I have spoken with people who are convinced God is against them. 
And I can't think of somebody more determined to, to remove that deception than Jesus. For he is the one who declares, no, God is for you. He's never been against you. God will never leave you nor forsake you. He loves you. He loves you so much. He gave his only son on your behalf. To be free of deception is an enormous thing. There are so many times our fears paralyze us from moving, taking one step forward. But to know him is to know courage to be able to face our fears and to move forward. And so many times our past whispers shame into our soul and it threatens to actually define our future. But to know Jesus is to know that our future with Jesus is always going to be brighter than however dark our worst fears say. There's tremendous freedom to come to know him, to remain in his words. Because if we are invited to know his words and his ways, you know what we're also invited to do? We're invited to, to consider that teachability looks like becoming someone who receives feedback. <laughs> this one's harder. I don't know about you. Actually, several services ago, right after service, someone came up to me and says, hey, I have some feedback for you. <laughs> and you know, sometimes I love feedback and sometimes it's a little tougher. Sometimes certain people, man, they're so good. Like even when they're criticizing me, I'll end that conversation feeling so inspired. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but they're like expert feedback givers. <laughs> They've been trained, you know? And it's like, oh, yes, yes, you have something to say, give it to me. I'm going to feel better. I know it, right? And then other people, they'll give feedback and it's kind of like, Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't want that one. You know, and sometimes we say, what do we do when, when, we, when that happens? You know what? We say, no, I don't like that so much. I'm going to suggest, I'm going to say, I'm going to conclude you're wrong. You're wrong. You're just flat out wrong. See, the reason you're wrong is because you're not seeing the entire picture. If you saw the entire picture, you would never have said that in the first place. See, you don't know what it's like to be in my shoes. If you knew what it was like to be in my shoes, you'd give me a hug. <laughs> you'd congratulate me. Rather than give me feedback. So you don't know. You don't know. And so, so you, since you don't know, you're giving me this feedback. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to end this conversation. And I'm going to take a step back. And I don't even know if I'm going to be open to what you have to say in the future. I'm going to isolate myself. And I knew it. It was only a matter of time before I got hurt. And so I'd rather, you know what? I'd rather do this on my own. And here's the reality. If this happens relationally, oh, there are going to be moments when we read his word and we're going to feel the same way. What? And in those moments, you know what we're going to be tempted to do? Much the same thing. Or we might be tempted to say, you know what this needs? A 2019 update. This needs to be relevant to this culture, this time in history. And man, I don't like what it says, and so I'm going to reinterpret it to make it fit the stream that I'm swimming in. Clearly doesn't mean that, so I'm going to go ahead and rewrite it. Oh, we do that. But we have to understand something. If we can't trust his scripture, which, by the way, has stood the test of time, has transcended culture, language, people group, history, 
socioeconomic status, education, ethnicity, race. It's stood firm. And anyone who received the feedback are better for it, are stronger and receive life. If we can't come to trust these words, it's going to be very hard for us to ever have a relationship with God. Because any true and honest relationship allows the other person to disagree, contradict, and challenge you without jeopardizing the relationship. Any true and honest relationship does not require complete and 100% agreement. Oh, it says, I, I value this relationship so much that when you disagree with me, I'm going to consider it. When you challenge me, I'm going to consider it. I'm going to lower my defenses. I'm going to consider it. I'm going to be open to it. I'm going to let you speak. I'm going to give you permission to disagree with me, God. And I will continue to follow you beyond any possible offense your challenge might provoke. Because there will be times when we might read his word and then might put his finger on something. Or he might point something out. Or he might say something to us. And his motive is never anything but good. Ever. Because he's the one who said, not only do I say these things, I live it. And I gave myself for you. So I'm not interested in manipulating, coercing. I'm interested in giving you life. Will you receive my feedback and embrace life? Because teach teachability, when it's all said and done, you know what it looks like? It looks like controlling. It looks like choosing to surrender control in the midst of doubt and fear. It doesn't mean surrender doubt and fear. It means choosing to surrender control in the midst of doubt and fear. See, doubts aren't bad. Doubts can motivate us to explore and discover more. And here's the thing. God's not afraid of doubts. He's not insecure about them. He's trustworthy with them. And fear isn't always Detrimental. Without fear, courage never exists. And so to have the courage to face our fear means we have to be honest about the fact that we're afraid. But in the midst of our doubts and our fears, you know what it looks like to follow him with an all-in posture? is to say with Peter in the best way we can, Lord, I don't know about this. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you're saying. I don't think I totally agree. I'm not even sure I'm understanding everything you're saying. I don't know why you're doing this, why you're not doing this. I don't know all of these things. I have my doubts, my fears, my concerns. I have all of these things. But you know what? Where else am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And though he didn't say it, he meant it. Your will be done. Your will be done, God. I come to you honestly, transparently. Thank you for accepting me for who I am. Thank you for not requiring me to fit into a box. Forgive me if I try to make you fit into mine. 
I surrender. I surrender my control to you. I want your words of life. I want your words of life. Oh, may we be there. May we be able to utter those words whenever a potential offense might come up. May we be all in with Jesus. In a moment, we'll receive our time of giving and our closing song. But I would just want to pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you are the one who, um, you know us completely. I mean, truly, we might think we're hiding something, but we can't hide anything from you. And I thank you, Lord, that in light of that, your approach to us is tender and kind, patient and loving, always wanting to continue to dialogue, always wanting to give us life. Wherever we might be right now, Lord, I pray you help us. Maybe we don't understand everything. Maybe there are certain things that are difficult. But help us utter with Peter, Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. May your will be done. Your will and not mine. I pray for that, Lord. Help us be all in. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>